This week on Squats and Margaritas, it's comedian, best-selling author, Meredith Masony. You know her on Instagram as That's Inappropriate. She has a new book out, Ask Me What's For Dinner One More Time. And I can't remember enjoying an hour this much in a long time. She teaches me so much. We're laughing through the pandemic. We're talking sending kids back to school, having shitty choices versus other shitty choices during this pandemic. That time that she found out that her mom doesn't wear underwear. And after 17 years of marriage, she gives me the best marriage advice that I've ever gotten. Here's my episode with Meredith Masony. Cannot thank you enough for being on. I can't even believe I'm talking to you. And you were just like, sure, let's do this. Thank you. I, first of all, um, I hope I don't give off the aura of that I wouldn't be on. I, I absolutely love chatting with people all of the time. And anytime I get a message, I try to do either a conversation or a video or an interview or whatever, because what we need right now more than ever is to talk about um, how we're going to survive what we're going through as parents and yeah. humans. Uh, because this, are we allowed to curse? Yes. This shit be crazy. This shit be crazy. It's cray. Um, (laughs) so yeah, no, I absolutely love, uh, chatting any chance I get. So I just have followed you for so long. It's so amazing to be able to talk to you. I have so many questions. Other people send in questions. I got to say my first question, (laughs) um, the shaving your face in the, um, car line was interesting. Um, how did that come about? (laughs) Um, I think it's just, I don't know how old you are, but I'm right behind. I'm a year younger than you. Okay. I'll be 40, um, in September. Mm -hmm. And I noticed that I was starting to grow like a full set of mutton chops. What? I didn't understand why this was happening. And of course I had a hysterectomy a couple of years ago. So although I still have my ovaries, you start to have perimenopause. And so I I think I'm a little bit earlier than I would have normally been. Wow. Asked my doctor, I was like, why am I growing a beard? And she's like, everybody's (laughs) different. It's just hormone fluctuations and less estrogen and blah, 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 blah. And then I was finally just like, I'll shave it. (laughs) I love it. asked my friends online, what lady razors do you use? And then I went and found it at Walmart and shaved in the parent pickup line. And I said, hey, I, I don't. And well, your son, your son, his reaction was the best. He's like, you're disgusting. Don't look at me. My son is two, like about to be two. And I still like struggle to picture him any other way. He's still snuggly and yeah, not sassy. Like my four and a half year old who's not asleep yet. Um, daughter. I know you have three. Your youngest is nine. Yep. Yep. And you're in three different schools. You've got grade school, middle school, high school. And I hate to go there right now because I know we're stressing it. Everyone's stressing it. But I feel like I know you have not made the decision to send them back. Um, oh, I only made yesterday. What's the decision? They're going virtual for the first nine weeks. Okay. I like but it. How did you come to that decision? Because I still haven't. Uh, so what I finally did, cause I've spent a lot of time reading. So one thing that I'd like to just get out there first and foremost, as we talk about this is, um, 
I don't believe that any of this should be political. I know people have made it into a political thing. I know people have made wearing masks into a political thing and sending their kids back to school. It's not political for me. For me, this is as a mother, I have three kids and it's my job to make the, the correct informed decision on what I'm going to do with my children. Yes. My decision is not going to be the same as your decision or anybody else's, but I'm going to read the shit that I'm supposed to read in order to figure out what it is that I think we should do. Because like I said today, there are some places where this is not um, as crazy as it is right now in the state of Florida. There are yeah, you're in a hotbed. We're, we're the epicenter of the globe. Yes. So we, I'm thinking of things in a much different manner than let's say I'm in rural North Dakota or something. Like, I don't know what their numbers are, but I'm assume it's not the 15,000 people we had test positive for the last like eight days in a row. Oh my God. So uh, with that being said, I literally read and follow pretty much every news outlet. I check everything out. I've been trying to see what's going on. I've been following the superintendent's meetings across the state. Wow. I've been trying to figure out like what the actual plans are and what the smartest thing to do is. Now the county that I'm currently living in, does not have a heat does not have a, an outbreak at this moment so they are assuming five days back at school is not going to be a big deal however as a former public school employee right. I quickly these things happen and they crop up and then you're shutting school down again so what i finally decided was sending my kids back to school because they need normal you're not just making a decision just as an informed parent you used to be a teacher and you made a point the other day, it's not just the kids going back. It's teachers, no. it's bus drivers. It's all, like, I thought about that when I heard you say that. It's not just the kids. And no, no, no. I, what it's like. Because, and then I was reading something, and somebody said, you know, it would be really great, and I hope this is the case, that kids aren't catching it and transmitting it for whatever reason. Right. And that, that continues to stay that way. But let's remember that back in March, we stopped them from going to school, which was the beginning of the outbreak that we saw in the US. So if the reason kids aren't getting it and transmitting it is because we took them out of school. Why send them what back? What's going to happen when we send them back? Mm -hmm. And so what I decided, the reason I decided to go virtual for the first nine weeks was because I said, okay, let's say, not, not even necessarily that my kid's gonna get COVID, because let's say we all get COVID. Okay, hope we're relatively knock on wood healthy people. Hopefully we'd be okay. I'm talking about another disruption in learning. Yeah. So I know that for nine weeks I can keep them home and I can at least keep them on a schedule of doing their, learn their online learning. Then at least I know I'm not gonna have to worry about them being pulled from school again. Right, no, so, yeah. How normal. We're not going to have normal. Normal isn't going to come up anytime soon. No. Um, and I just kept thinking to myself, if we send them back, they'll have some normal. They'll have, they won't have any normal. No. The thought, that was a, uh, a wish. And it's not going to happen because that's just not what we have right now. Unfortunately, what we have right now, and I said it to my, to my husband today, and I think this is the first time through this whole process that he's really understood because he's done better than I have through this. Yeah. Um, I told him today, I was laying on the couch and he said, get up, let's go do something. And I said, I feel paralyzed. Yeah. I, if I try to move my body, it's not, it won't work. 
Decision it's, fatigue. It's because I'm so <laughs> with everything from decisions yep. to just the normal stuff. Just so heavy right now. Like, it's like in the 80s when my mom used to strap on her ankle weights and her sauna suit to go walk the neighborhood. Like, <laughs> it feels heavy, man. Heavy. And I'm just exhausted when I wake up from the thoughts that I have all night long about this. And I think it's just um, because I don't see an end in sight for it. I feel uh -huh. like I'm having a hard time. Because most of the time I can just ramp myself up to be like, okay, we've got another week. We've got another month. Yeah. Like, get through this. You can get through this. But and I don't have an answer for when this is going to be done. I don't, nobody does. Right. So that's, I think, where I'm struggling right now with that part of it is because it's, I don't know when this is going to end. I don't I, know when it's better. The thing that, like, what we do, I just think we do can do this from home. And yes, it's very hard to, like, you host a podcast. You're, like, running an empire, and you've got three kids at home that you're going to have to help homeschool and, like, do your virtual learning. What about the teachers and the people that have to go back to work, they, they, do they send their kids? Like, I can't even imagine. And when I start stressing out about it, I think about that. Like, at least I don't have that concern. Like, I don't know what people that have to go back to work when there's no, nowhere to send their kids or should they send their kids? And then they're kind of thinking, is it safe? I don't have anywhere for them to go. Like, that concern. Well, and that's the, one of the first comments on the live when I did the live the other night. Um, which was crazy to have 20,000 people in a live. That's never I happened. I was there. <laughs> um, I was looking at some of the first comments, and the woman said, I'm a pregnant teacher who has to go back to school, and when I called and asked them if I could do the virtual option and teach virtually, I was told no, so now I have to go back as a pregnant teacher and send my kids back to school, and I'm worried that of course this, I, we, we aren't going to survive it. And it's like, these are the people that we have to put in front of the school board. And in right front of the yeah. So you're telling me it's okay that we put these families and these people in jeopardy because it's so important that we open up and go back right this minute. Like, why don't we just pump the brakes for a second right. and figure out a better plan? Because there has to be something better because right now you're giving us Shitty choice A, shitty choice B, shitty choice D, shitty option D, D write in, yep. shitty E, and none of them are any good for anybody. And nobody is saying with a resounding like, yes, that's what we want to do. Of course, I want to send my kids back to school. I'm just like everybody else. I don't want them home anymore. They don't want them home. <laughs> I have a two and a four year old, Meredith. Like, I'm like, can we just, like, it's a lot. <laughs> a lot everybody but also it's scary like and the thing is like I was talking to somebody today they're like are you sending her back and I said I don't know what is going to be the decision maker like I guess when the deadline when I have to make a decision because it's not like I'm waiting for a like my husband was like yeah COVID test went in the school he's like that's what I'm waiting for and I make sure everybody's COVID free and I was like that's not going to happen I, there's no decision maker for me I'm just going to have to decide when the time comes that we have to make a decision and my kid goes to Montessori they're open now like they have a summer program we did right. a sender and we're still I don't know what we're gonna do and it is hard because I don't get anything done with a four and a two-year-old and 
it's tempting to send her back to school, but I don't know if it's the right thing. Nobody does. Like you said, there's no right or good choice. And somebody said, they were like, I wish I could stop being judged for making the choice to send my kid back. And it's like, look, people are going to judge you for that. People are going to judge me for what I'm doing. Yeah. I, do, I am not casting any judgment because right. as a parent, I understand how hard this is. And I know if you, are, if you are making the choice to send them back, I understand that there are extenuating circumstances for you to do so. And I get that. Yeah. Or you just feel like it's the right thing to do for your family, which cool. It's your family. It's not my family. Yeah. I, I don't have any skin in that game per se, but I have a problem with the government and the school districts or the government not listening to the school districts or whatever, whatever formula and combination with them saying, well, the mortality rate is only this. So you're going to see a 0 0.017 death rate. And I'm like, you're talking about our kids. You're talking about death rate with our kids and staff members. And the only acceptable mortality rate is zero. Yeah. When you said death waiver, Meredith, I was like, death waiver? Oh, and it's and, and people were like, you made this up. And I'm like, sure didn't. Here it is. And it's not one county or two counties. It's tons of counties. And the problem is, it's a liability issue. Right. But because Jesus. <laughs> it's a global pandemic. So it's an it's an assumption of risk. So it's a legal it's a legally binding situation. Because I have news for you. There are people who are out there who have sent their kids back out to play sports. I have family members who have kids that are playing in tournaments already right now. They've also had to sign that waiver because there is an assumption that if something happens, they don't want the legality to fall back on them for them to get sued for this. Mm. And up to the person to determine if that's a risk they want to take. Yeah, Not a risk that I'm willing to take at this moment in time. We have law firms in Hillsboro, which is one of our major hotspots right now, which is over by Tampa who are giving away free estate and will and uh, uh, what's the, if you go in the hospital and you can't make a decision thing. Um, Living attorney, power of attorney. Uh, all of that paperwork for free for teachers and support staff right oh now. Oh my God, that's disgusting. How, how sick. Sick. As these things come out and we have these conversations and, and our, Somebody said waivers are normal with any sports. Of course they're normal with any sports, which is why I'm saying people will sign these things. But I'm not okay yeah. with signing a waiver to send my kid back to school to say that we kind of think this is an unsafe environment per the COVID, but if you want to come back, sign this. And it's like, no, no, I don't want to sign that. Yeah. I don't want to sign that. Thank you so very much. I'm okay. I'll do nine more weeks and then we'll reevaluate. Yeah. But that's because I'm lucky enough to work from home and have okay. the ability to do that. And I stated when I went did that live, like I am hashtag blessed to be in a situation where I can, uh, I'm not that I'll be doing any teaching, but facilitating, I'll be facilitating some, some at, at home work, but it won't be, you know, they're not, they're not learning anything from me other than how to make their own lunch. Yeah, I, I don't, I can't even facilitate it. Like my four-year-old, she, we tried to do it when they went virtual. She won't sit there. She doesn't get it. Like her friends are all on the computer and they're all chatting. They have to mute them all. And then she'll come over and ask me for a snack. And I'm like, no, you're in school. Go back. Like that's not, virtual right. is not going to work for a four-year-old. Not for my four-year-old. Right. But, but I kind of feel like anybody.
anybody who is in, and this is probably really wrong and not the right way to think about it, but I feel like if you're not in middle or, or high school, you'll catch up. You'll be all right. I was thinking that too. I'm glad you said that. None of y'all are rocket scientists as it is. Let's just be honest. You still, you still wipe your hineys and don't wash your hands. That's been made clear. So I'm not worried about that group. Like they're going to eventually catch up. But I do worry about these high school kids and these middle school kids. Like my daughter going into sixth grade, like sixth grade math is going to be hard enough as it is. Yeah. The fact that I'm going to have to try and walk her through this online is not going to bode well for I. I can't count. <laughs> I can't imagine doing sixth grade math. I, I admit it. I, I wouldn't have a third child if I could count to 10. I get it, girl. <laughs> I'm sitting on two. <laughs> yeah. we're the same age but yours are 10 years ahead of like you well, have a 14 year old and I have a four yeah we started but we were married young you know we were 23 when we got married wow. I was I, by the first time I was having a baby I was done having babies by 30 I had three kids within five years so it was you know but but like I said it's it's um can you stop eating the checkbook is that your husband the dog <laughs> We don't need to talk about this the whole time. I have so many questions. And you mentioned your husband. Is he have a husband. on board? Does he ever get, I got a lot of questions. Does her husband ever get mad at your post? <laughs> Chronically mad at me. Okay. And how do you handle that? I'm always like, but, but it had good shares, you know, like it was good. <laughs> Did you see the comment? <laughs> Comments. It went viral. Come on. Like, I can't get my husband on board. I don't know. I see that sometimes you put like a sticker or something on, which I'm sure I would have. I don't even like put my husband. He's just like, he doesn't get it. And I had Michelle Dempsey on last week and we were talking about um, just like how men, she's like, you don't know how many women in my DMs I talk to. And they're like, you have changed my life. You, I, I come on just to, like, you make me laugh. You give me hope. Men don't get that. So they kind of don't get what we're doing and like being an online presence. And I was wondering like, but I think I read somewhere he works with you now. No, he gets it. He gets it. Okay, it, great. It, <laughs> uh, um, like the man cold, were you, were you sleeping in the guest room that week for that? No, no. no. He's cool. Like legitimately, I was like, I wasn't pretending to be sick in that video. We both cold at the same time it and was awesome. so furious at him when he came in while I was in the middle of working and folding laundry and he said I just gotta lay down again because this I just I'm too sick I do okay and I, and I looked at him and I was like oh bitch I know like, it was so spot on Meredith and I got my camera and I just and I just shot Yes. And um, the, it wasn't him in the bed. It was actually my son in the bed who was rolling around and groaning. Yeah. <laughs> was actually video, video doing the video. Um, but it was it was exactly you know. I mean, it was funny because you either completely agreed with me or you completely disagreed with me, which is most of my videos. How do people? Yeah, you're polarizing, but that means you yeah. matter. But yeah. I don't know how a woman on this earth cannot agree with how a man acts when they're sick. And like what? you said, you're sick. You still have to, everything that needs to be done, you do. Like, you're sick, but you don't even think about it. Like, they are down. Do you know how many 
many times during this pandemic, my husband has walked in and said, can you feel my head? Because I, I'm a little worried. I have a scratchy throat and I might have the COVID. And I'm like, you don't have COVID. <laughs> we have not house. You don't have the COVID. <laughs> feel my head. Just feel, just feel my head. Like, I'm not feeling your head. Okay. You don't I, have three children. You have four. I have literally eaten shit and almost died as an adult. Like I literally had a case of Shigella year, three years ago, four years ago. I kid you not, we went out to eat. Somebody did not wash their hands. Stop. I got E. coli poisoning. I'm not kidding you. Yeah. I was so sick. I literally almost, I literally ate shit and almost died. Literally. And literally. <laughs> this man is like, I have a rash on my elbow and I just don't think I'm going to take it today, you know? Uh -huh. And I died on Christmas one year and I was like, I'm going to need you to reel it in. They don't or realize how much we have to keep to get, because just like the way I always think about it, especially with two young kids, like there's always diapers. There's always food. Like he helps, he changed diapers, but the diapers are there. You get them dressed, but the clothes are there. You don't know what size he wears. Like, what the mom has to do and like the thinking ahead to like have the clothes and the food and the diaper, like they don't understand that. And until a mom goes down with eating shit and dying, like right. they, and they have to do it, like that's the only way that they will even understand just how much we take on. I think for him, it was so, mm, we and then he was an administrator at a high school. And he did the, um, he was in charge of curriculum for a high school, which is a lot because there yeah. was a thousand students. Like it was a big school. And, and so he had a really, he had a really intense job. And then of course I started this on the side and he was not a fan of, of it at first because he didn't like when people at work would talk to him about the things that I was posting because it became yep. a little uncomfortable. And that yep. was before I even had like, a following that was just when people in town read it right yep and after my first book came out in 2016 um he came with me to a tiny little t a tiny little town close to tampa and i did a book signing very small book signing i think 30 people showed up but um he said when we were driving home he said I never really got it until today. 30 women drove from, and, and I, had, I had a family drive down from Georgia. So this was like a 12 hour drive for me to sign a book for this family. And, um, which was so crazy to even think about it. But no. these, he said all of these women were different. They were different economic backgrounds, different uh, ethnicities, different family lives, different, like some worked, some didn't. And he goes, but they all said the same thing to you, which was, you get how I feel and you say the things that I want to say and you make me feel better about motherhood yes. and life. And he said, I didn't get it until I saw that because I didn't understand what it was that you were trying to do. And I said, I'm really glad you're joining the party now. Um, yes, this is what I'm trying to do. I don't want moms to feel isolated. I don't want moms to think that, that, that this journey has to be as lonely as it is. And I want moms to know, like, 
we have a job to raise these kids, but we also have to remember who we are as people because at some point they're going to leave and then we will be here by ourselves. And I, my name isn't mom. Yeah. Right. My name. So that's a good book title. You should write that down. <laughs> oh, so, <laughs> so with all of that being said, um, he, then he kind of was like, I get it. And so, um, he started helping me with more projects and helping me shoot stuff and wow. do some other things. And then all of a sudden things really started to take off in 2016, 2017. And I ask you really quick, what was it? Like when you really started to take off, was it one post that just went crazy? Was it one interview when no. you just like launched? What would you say when things really started to take off? What was it? I would say it, the, the, the Mother's Day video that I did in 2016 was my first viral video. And that had 10 million views over Mother's Day weekend. Brought a lot of press and interviews and things like that. And then I had like a series that year and between 2016 and 2017, I had like 50 viral videos. It was the craziest thing ever. No, you're relatable. It's not crazy at all. And then it was just opportunity after opportunity from people like interviewing and asking me to come MC events and do things. And that's when I started traveling. That's when he sort of got a taste for what it was like to be the primary parent when I... Yes. Someone's saying their favorite video is not wanting to have sex and all the excuses women use. So Everything is so relatable. And that was one of the ones that went viral that year. And of course, I took so much heat. I got death threats from that video. Like the most ridiculous, you know, like, of course, I, I always want to remind people and the fact that I have to remind them that this is satire and it's comedy. Like, I do have sex with my husband. You know, like, I do, in fact, sex him. And, um, <laughs> You know, for the most, most of the time, it's good. You know, sometimes it's not because that's normal to not have good sex all the time. Sometimes you're tired because you're a podcast host and you write books and you host things and you have three kids and a husband. And but you I bought a shower bench so that I could just two in one sometimes. You two know? in one. <laughs> two in one, like head and shoulders. Yes. Two in one. <laughs> I um, see people asking this question and I had it a couple times like how you deal with that negativity and like trolls and where you put up a video that obviously is viral and everyone's loving it and that one person that makes a shitty comment do you address it do you ignore it um I for the most part now mostly because I have I have had to force myself to not read a lot of the comments because the comments can be so um divisive so what I what I decided to do was basically like I I, I create something I offer it up my intention was good yeah. if it goes sideways in the comment section there's not much I can do about that I'm also not gonna people get upset because they say I, I don't moderate the comments and they're correct I don't because you, you don't want them to get in the mess well but they're adults it's like y'all are adults True. So if, if you can't handle this, now, of course, if this is something, if it goes really crazy, I will go in and ban and block and do whatever I need to do. But you're adults. Like, this is, this is, I made you a piece of comedy. Yeah. 
take it or leave it. Like, like this your podcast. <laughs> but I also stop eating the bed. I also um, realized that I couldn't invest the energy in that because it wasn't bringing anything. It wasn't bringing any good to focus on, you know, the people who were being super negative. Like I can't spend my time there. You know, that's not something that I can do. So I want to get there. I'm not there yet. I posted well, a workout thing the other day and someone said, that's a woman. I thought it was a man. And the rest of the day I was like, oh, like that was really mean. Like, how do you, what would even bring someone to type that and just be mean? Like, I, I don't oh, understand. Like a man? Mm -hmm. oh. My legs. In my first book, and I'll send you a copy if you've not yes. read this. <laughs> Scoop the poop. Scoop the poop. I have an entire chapter that I talk about haters. Oh. And I talk about this gentleman, Clive, who um, said I looked like a transvestite parrot. What? Whatever that looks like, that's me. It looks like you. And that's fine. I mean, I don't know what aisle in the pet store you're like, I'm shopping for my transvestite parrot. <laughs> like, I don't know where you go to get that. Pet smart, obviously. But um, I will send you a copy of the book, but you can read that chapter on haters. But you. you can't, you're, you're a very attractive woman. The fact that somebody took the time to say that says more about them than about how you look. So it's just like this. the fact that you took time to just be so hurtful and mean to someone. Yeah, I guess it is sad for them. Like I, I said, K, <laughs> I was like, but then I was like, why did I even respond? But I was like, what? I don't know. It still does bother me. I don't have nearly the following that you do, but I could have all good comments. And then someone will say something just like hurtful, not even like if it's something satire and they don't get it, but something that you look like a man, like, okay. Well, let's see, but that's mostly, so what you have to remember too is from a very young age, we are, as women, we are, we are taught to act and respond in a certain manner. And we are always told that we want to please everyone. You need to please everyone. Everybody, you have, you, you have, it's your job to make sure everybody else is happy. And when you have that negative comment, you harp on that negative comment and you try to figure out why you couldn't make that person happy. Yes, yes. Really this, this prophecy of being like, I, you need to like me. I need to make you happy. If I have to shove this down your throat, you're going to get my <laughs> You will like it. <laughs> and the problem is you can't, you can't yeah. make everybody happy. I have five people that live in this house and rarely do I make a fifth of the people that I live with happy. It's just the way it is. How am I going to make 3 million people on the internet happy? I'm not. That's not going to happen. Um, so you just have to, you have to realize that. And, and it's not like I was like this on day one. There were years of me going through and responding to every comment and crying about comments and saying something and then being, you know, like not even having it be my intention that it was this and somebody getting upset and then crying about that all night. So yeah. <laughs> but it takes a lot of time. And at, at some point you have to just learn to be like, I got to love and let this go. And this is what it is. And if somebody thinks that I look like a transvestite parrot, <laughs> I'm personally okay with that at this point in my journey. The like, most ridiculous. <laughs> I'm okay with that. Like I do have a very big, <laughs> you know, like well, I, that's the thing too. I was like, my legs are muscular. Maybe that's masculine. Like I'm, I was talking to someone else about this too, and she was, she gets comments like that, and she's like, "I'm not for her." 
Like you are for so many of the people that watch, maybe not the guy that called you a transvestite parrot, but everyone else, that just was, you're not for him. And the, yeah. when she said it like that, I was like, okay, I'm just, right. that's not, I'm not you for him. Be, you cannot be a chocolate cake and a bottle of wine and something right. going to just, you know, like that seven layer cake from Publix that's got all the, or a cheesecake, a New York style cheesecake with strawberries. Like, oh my God, like, you can't be that to everyone all the time. Right. Um, but you do, if you, if you focus more of your energies on giving to those people who you are filling their cup, yeah. you have to know that your why is being fulfilled. So like as an entrepreneur, as somebody who runs several businesses, one thing that I have learned, and this is because of my husband, because I have no entrepreneurial like before starting this business, I had never even thought about undertaking any type of business or like what that would even look like. But my husband said to me very early on, you need to know your why because your why has to be the compass for your business. And you must always stay true to your why so you know that you're doing the things you're supposed to be doing. And it took me a while to, to put it down on paper because I couldn't really you know, formulate it. But then once I had it and I got it, I've stayed true to that why time and again. And if that's what you're doing, yeah. you have to know that it's going to be okay to just let those other things go. Like you got to let that go. Like my why is very specific. I am here to make sure moms know that motherhood is a very isolating journey and that what they're feeling is normal. And if I can make you laugh and say the things that you can't say, I will be that voice. I will be that mouthpiece for you. Like why <laughs> is, is very specific and it has not shifted from the moment I wrote it down from the moment I started, but then I wrote it down and said like, you know, this is my why. Um, and you do, and like, maybe we can't say it, but we'll share it. And it feels good. Like if you put out a video and I'm like, yeah, like I'll just share it and be like, yes. Like I didn't have to say it. You said it for me, but I can put it out like as my like into the universe. And your other thing was just helping women find themselves, which oh, I think yeah. is another, we like, I kind of, with my book too, I wrote my book to help women. I got in the best shape of my life after having my second kid at 37. In my twenties, when you could argue that I could be in the best shape of my life because I hadn't had kids and I had all day to work out, I was 20 pounds heavier. So I was like, I'm gonna write this book that shows women that you can find yourself again. You're not just a mom. And then my book ended up being all about my eating disorders. I started like just disclosing everything, like sharing everything. But it was just show women to find how to find themselves again, that they can. You're not over because you're a mom. And I feel like you had that similar message. Oh, and yeah. you kind of found what you are supposed to be doing. But how did you go from being a teacher? Like, when did you pivot into like what you're doing now? And like, how did you like become inspired to be like, I'm not going to be a teacher anymore. I'm going to follow this and do what I'm supposed to do. So... Uh, I almost <laughs> what yeah from the poop thing from the what the poop eating the poop thing oh no that was after you almost died twice well I don't think the poop thing was gonna kill me I got very sick but yes so I was teaching and decided I was in the middle of one of my depressive anxiety episodes about Brian was probably three years old and my husband said, um, you should get a hobby. And I laughed because it's like, I have three kids, asshole. I've got yeah. out the wazoo. 
And um, he's like, no, like you should really leave this house and go do something because I can tell you're miserable and I don't want you to be miserable and I don't want you to be sad. So go find something to do. And so I was like, well, I used to work out. I used to be in shape. I played sports. I was a college athlete. I said, I'm going to, yeah. What did you play in college? I ran track and, and played soccer. I played soccer in college. So love sports. Okay. Uh, but you lost that as you became a mom. And well, right. You just kind of like working out. I was a PE teacher, so I was on my feet all day. Mm -hmm. But I wasn't like in the gym. Like I used to lift and I used to be like in really good shape. And so I said, you know what? I heard that there this CrossFit thing was starting. And this is back in 2014 when CrossFit was just like launching. And yeah. so I, I'm going to go to a CrossFit gym. And I'm going to join and I'm going to find friends. And that was my goal. And so I did, in fact, go to a CrossFit gym and I started working out and I got into really, really, really great shape, but felt awful. I got very sick. I lost 10 pounds. My hair started to fall out. Oh my God. I had the worst heartburn of my life. And uh, I kept going to the doctor and they just kept upping my dose of um, Prilosec and Zantac. And they had me on every over-the-counter and prescription drug. And I looked at the doctor and I said, listen, this is not, this isn't normal. Like I shouldn't feel like this. I'm 34 years old. I, you know, I eat well, I work out, you know, I can barely like, like keep my food down. Like there are nights where I vomit after I eat because my stomach is so upset. And he looked at me and he said, you're young and attractive and thin. There's nothing wrong with you. Wow. And so then he upped my dosage again. So I did this for another six months until I got to the point where if I would drink water, I would vomit. Oh my God. Going down, everything was coming back up. Um, and so I finally went back in and I said, please get me a scope. I need to be scoped because there's something wrong with me. So he agrees, he, he takes me in for a scope. Um, he takes me back into the office after the scope and he says, so we found a lump. We're not sure what it is, but I have to send you to the hospital because we need to do an ultrasonic scope and get a biopsy. So of course at that moment, I knew I had cancer and was gonna die because I automatically jumped to the end of the conclusion and say, well, it was a good run. Uh, I should make some freezer meals and do the laundry because I'm going to die. So I go the next week to the hospital. They do the ultrasonic scope. Um, apparently before I even woke up or came out of anesthesia, the doctor came out and stopped my husband and said, hey, your wife has a tumor. Uh, I can no longer treat her. You'll have to find an oncologist, best of luck. And he left. Mid-surgery? Well, after. So I was like, I'm not touching it. I'm not doing anything. No, they actually oh stopped and they couldn't do anything because once they realized that I had a tumor, they had to stop because if they had touched it or they could have broken off. So my husband's job of when I woke up telling me that I had an esophageal tumor and that I had to see an oncologist. So he got that job. God. Ass hat went to play golf. <laughs> so right. I, um, I realized at that moment in my life, I was like thinking to myself, okay, I'm being punished for every bad decision I ever made. Uh, I now have cancer. I've 
ruined everything. I've got these three kids that I'm never going to get to watch grow up. My husband is overweight and bald. That's not going to bode well in the dating game. Uh, so I quickly got a match.com profile where I set him up so that he could find somebody to, <laughs> well, you, I, you can't do this alone. It's very hard to parent children. Like, Oh my God. The fact that I, that's where your head was at. What difference does it make? You know, let him, let him poke somebody else. Like it's fine. So, so I spent a couple of weeks, um, trying to get into an oncologist's office. Um, and so they had referred me to somebody who was up in Tampa and by luck, by God's intervention, this, this specialist um, had moved to our town and was now practicing at our hospital from like two hours away. Wow. And I was literally the second patient in his office. I was standing outside banging on this guy's door to be like, can you let me in? Um, so he looked at my scans and he basically said, um, I can't biopsy this. Uh, it has already broken your esophageal wall. So if I touch it and it's cancer, it will spread to your entire body. Um, he said, I have to open you up. I have to crack you from your sternum to your belly button. I have to resect a large portion of your esophagus. If it's cancer, uh, you'll most likely be moved to hospice because if it's esophageal, it's a 5% survival rate. Uh, if it's esophageal cancer, he said, if it's not, I can do my best to resect it and connect your stomach to your esophagus, I guess again, but I can't promise you'll ever eat again without feedings and this and that and the other thing. And so I'm sitting there and I'm trying to listen to this guy tell me like all of this stuff. And then my response was, well, I don't have a break at work until November. When can this wait till? And this was, this was in uh, August. And he said, no, no, you don't understand. Like, we need to operate now because you might not be alive in November. Oh, my God. And at that point, then I was like, oh, I'm going to die before Christmas. Like, I got to get the shopping done. Like, it was like. Like all of these things, you know, I had, I was a mom, I had a list. Yeah. So I, um, <laughs> I, I, I do all the pre preparations that I can think of. I make as many lasagnas and chicken enchiladas and meals that I can make for the freezer. Did you tell the kids what was happening? No. Like, okay. No. They were little. Okay. I felt it was unnecessary to involve them at that point because yeah. either I was literally going to be dead within a month or... I was hopefully going to, you know, have some other options. Oh. I figured it was best with them being eight or eight or seven. My youngest was maybe three or four, you know, so it was not something that I wanted to okay. about. So I went in and um, he, this doctor was fantastic. He was able to resect uh, all of the tumor. He had to take most of my esophagus. I had to have my stomach placed in my chest so that they could attach it. Wow. And so I could eat again, which he did, which was great. Um, very thankful for that because I like to eat food. Um, I had to have two more surgeries to fix. It took a couple of years to get it right uh because we've had some complications and issues and i will have to have surgeries in the future but it wasn't cancer it was a tumor 
that grew like a weed and it circled my esophagus and it eventually crushed it at the top, which is why I started having all of the pro all of the pain and the problems because it was just, it smushed it. Wow. So I got extremely lucky and um, I realized at that moment after being woken up from this surgery and my husband said, it's not cancer. I just had this like weird experience where like they say your life kind of flashes before your eyes and it literally kind of does. It kind of looks like um, Polaroid pictures almost. And you see like things that happened in your life. And then I remember the last thing before I kind of like blacked out again, cause I was in the hospital for like six days. I remember just seeing the words um, second chance, like you have another, like, this isn't it. Like almost. <laughs> oh my God. And so when I woke up and I, and I got home and I, I started talking to my husband, I said, I think I'm supposed to do something else with my life. I don't know what it is right now, but I'm supposed to do something because I was given an opportunity and if I don't take this opportunity, I'm really going to regret the fact that I was given a gift. Like I was given the ability to, to like literally stare down the barrel of the gun. And um, my husband was like, yeah, okay. And I was like, no, no, I'm serious. And he was like, all right. And a month later I started my blog. Wow. And then I was just like hell bent on doing whatever I could do in order to kind of fulfill this vision of talking to women about discovering who they are and realizing that mom is just one part of it and talking about the real side to motherhood, which is what I think, unfortunately, um, it's so undervalued and underrated in our society because perfection is not something that is attainable. So why don't we just talk about the real things that happen and <laughs> go on instead because right. everything else is doing that so yes. why do we not talk about this exactly because everybody tries to paint the most perfect picture I, I, I get like writing my book and i shared everything so it's like once i said all like I, my bulimia all my insecurities last week on my live i talked about my zoloft prescription it's like once you just become real it's just easier to just live your life and just be real and there's no charade anymore and there's no perfectionism and that's when people really well, relate to you and I think you're correct and I also think that um it has to be exhausting to put a mask on <laughs> or on every day and be like no no this is who I am yeah and like I don't I am so tired at this moment in my life and so fatigued and so paralyzed with you know like we talked about decision fatigue that it's like yes this is not something that I can do. I can't pretend to be anybody else. Yes, my, my kids know now about the esophageal tumor because they always groan when I'm like, somebody will complain about something. I'll be like, oh, I had esophageal tumor. Okay, I'm gonna need you to relax. Okay. You're good. Or I'll show them my scar and it's like, no, no. <laughs> I did this too. Queen so now <laughs> It's the joke is that, oh, you can't be a big deal. Mom had an esophageal tumor. <laughs> um, and of course, just as a human being, I grow things. So like I had a, I had skin cancer last summer that was chopped off my forehead. I've had several taken off my back. 
Um, I just, I'm a tumory person. I grow shit. <laughs> um, you know, I'm always reminding people to go to their doctors and get their skin checks and check their boobs and like get your hoo-ha checked out. And like, yeah. you know. The things that other women don't say, like someone needs to say, we're not here on earth for a long time. Why, like, just be real, <laughs> like connect with people. We're all like in the same situation and it makes people feel so like seen and understood. Like I get so many DMs, like I feel seen that when you said that, because I, I would never, I can't believe you said that. I would never say that, but it's like, why not? Like everyone's dealing well, with the same things. Yeah, but I think it is hard. It's hard to, it's hard to cross that bridge because it you're is. afraid that let's say the bridge explodes and you can't go back. Like, what are you going to do at that point? And so I understand that that's a legitimate and they don't want to expose themselves to everything that comes with it. But I do know that for whatever reason, I believe, I truly believe that I was supposed to be, I was supposed to be doing these things and it just took me, it took that scare to get me to understand how short life really is. And the fact that, um, you know, it's, it's important that we, that we give ourselves the opportunity to fulfill what we're supposed to be doing. Yeah. You know, you like I was a gift, that tumor was a gift. That was my gift that was given to me to say, hey, you know, you've got, you've got, um, you've got to, you've got to do something. You need to. Without that, you would still be a gym teacher. Like if you, you would not have made a change without like a near death experience. No, I don't think I would have. I think that it was, it was because I literally owned the domain name that's inappropriate for a year and never touched it. Wow. Because I was like, I toyed with the idea, but it was like, you know, I don't really need to start a blog. Why am I talking about this stuff anyway? And then once that, once that happened, um, you know, I was just like, nope, I need to start this. I need to do this. I need to talk about this. This is important. This is, there's something else I'm supposed to be doing. And you obviously were. Someone wants to know how you first hooked up with Tiffany Jenkins for your podcast, like how you two came together. I totally just messaged her on Facebook because <laughs> I think your stuff is super funny. And um, she was so funny because she thought I was just trying to give her business advice, but I legitimately thought she was like a really <laughs> nice person and I wanted to be friends with her. Um, but I don't think we even became friends until like a year and a half in. Wow. Because she was a guarded person, which I get. Sure. sure. But, um, I'm, you know, and I'm very blunt. So I think sometimes people don't know how to take me because I literally just say what I think. And mm -hmm. so it's the off-putting. No, you guys are the your dynamic duo. Um, how do you manage it all? Books, podcasts, stand-up comedy, three husbands, three husbands, three kids and a husband. Yeah, would you like to talk about your other husbands? Three kids I, and a husband. How do you, and you said you work out five days a week. How do you manage that? Well, first, I'm going to shamelessly plug my new book. That's I was going to plug it at the end, girl. Plug it. Um, ask me what's for dinner one more time. Inappropriate thoughts on motherhood. You can buy it now. Yes, on you can. Um, but um, I don't manage it well. It, there are very rocky days. There are lots of arguments and fights. Uh, I rarely sleep. Um, really? 
is the one thing that I do uh, religiously because it gives me an hour to quiet my mind every day. So I get very grumpy if I don't get to do it. Yes, same. I totally agree about working out. So it's just in a, and it's just that it's something that I can do in my house and I can, I can force my, I also don't want to die yet. So I, I believe Valid. eating well and working out is something that will keep me going, but I can't tell you, I'm not very organized without my husband. A lot of shit wouldn't get done. Wow. Um, because he really keeps me on track with everything, but wow. I am, um, you know, I really, I have a lot of ideas and so I, I just want to put things out there that I think women can appreciate and understand and put into play in their own lives. And that's why I keep doing more and more and more and more because I want people to see success in their own lives. And yes. that's, that's important for me. So that's why I keep doing all of these crazy things. What are you binging on Netflix during this pandemic? Right now I have been watching um, Grace and Frankie Oh yeah. Uh, very funny. I am in the middle of the Waco docudrama. I don't know if I'm ready for that. This seems <laughs> And of course I watched the Tiger King, I think with yes. the rest of the globe, which was so crazy. You have some very cute um, swag and merch on your Instagram. Yeah. You can, just, you can shop on your highlights, right? I don't know if you can. You Any can. Yeah. If you put on your highlights, it's like a swipe up to purchase your tanks. Maybe. It was today. It was there today. <laughs> yeah. I do, make, I do make tank tops. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah. I have a whole line of things mom say t-shirts, but um, yeah. I like, yeah, that's one of my businesses. I love to make t-shirts. I'm toying with a 2020 t-shirt right now because it's been such a cluster. A little bit. So. Can we talk about your stand-up comedy and how... Obviously, you're hilarious. You know that you are. I'm sure everybody tells you you're funny. But the first time you stepped on a stand-up comedy stage to do, like, your act, like, how, like, the balls it takes to do that, how did you, like, when is the first, I've seen you do stand-up on YouTube. I don't know if I saw the first one that you did. But, like, how do you muster the strength to just put yourself out there like that? I don't know. It's kind of like a drug. Oh. It's so high from it yeah you do you do definitely there's adrenaline and it gets you pumping and 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 the thing is is I've um I've slayed and I've bombed really so it happens right like there have been times where I've gone out and just been like holy shit like I killed like every <laughs> joke was on and there were laughs the entire time um, and then there were nights where, um, and shows where I've got, gotten off the stage and was like, whoa, like, that's so bad. Like, oh, no. <laughs> uh, you know, and it's even worse when some of the places it's hard to hear and you can't hear the laughter. So you don't even know how you did until after. Oh my God. You have to keep telling the jokes, even if you can't hear the laughs <laughs> and you don't, you just don't know, but. But what I can tell you is it's, it's, um, it's, it's like a drug. It, it gives yeah. you a rush of adrenaline and, and you want to hear the laughter and, and whatnot. But I just like to tell stories. Yeah. So for me, it, I would say I'm less of a stand-up comedian, more of a storyteller who happens to have jokes in their stories. 
but I just like to tell stories because I think that's how we all relate our, yeah. our stories. So but to get up there is another, like to put yourself out there on like Instagram versus like a stand-up comedy situation where you see the people reacting is like next level and amazing. That's what I missed during this whole pandemic is the uh -huh. ability to go and connect with people. Yeah. Because there have been, I haven't traveled since February and I've never since started starting to do this, I've never not traveled. Yeah. Um, for a period of time like this, there's always been some event or some interaction or some networking thing or some of some some stand up bit. Even when I was doing local comedy where I used to live, you know, I had done a couple of shows at a local club and and clubs close to me. And to not have that, I think, has been another part of this that's been really hard because there is a there is something to be said for being in a room with some with a, a group a, a couple hundred people and getting them to laugh yeah and feeling that and being like okay i get, I get to do this again i get to do this again and and it's a lot of fun um not so much fun when you bomb no that's the whole thing about about stand-up is you create this bit and you kind of get into this setting and you and you tell these stories um, I have a whole bit about how I gave my mom underwear one year for Christmas and she uh, politely said thank you but then like two weeks later I went to her house and I found the bag unopened and I said mom aren't you gonna wash these undies so that you can like I I got you like really nice underpants for Christmas like these were the fancy Victoria's Secret ones and she said I didn't have the heart to tell you but I've not worn underwear in years and it's <laughs> God, like my mom's, you know, a hussy. Like, what are you doing? What do you mean you don't wear underwear? You know, and she's like, well, no, you know, the ghoulie has to breathe. It was God <laughs> to breathe. And I'm like, no, God doesn't want it to breathe when you're wearing a mini skirt. Like, it, it doesn't. Right. There are days where I've seen my mom and I wonder if, if she forgot <laughs> pants on. And it's like, you don't. You, I see your ass, your under ass, and maybe like <laughs> cover it up, you know. But so she had to like not relate to your Huffington Post article at all about the granny panties. She had to be like not even get it. Was in the audience the first time I did stand up and I told those jokes. Oh, <laughs> so she was, you know. But she's also the same woman who refuses to wear underwear and then goes and goes to church with no undies on. <laughs> I saw you talk about that on the stand. God bless. It's fine. That's, you know. I know, you're the other end of the spectrum, though. I read your Huffington Post art. Was that your first, what was your first Huffington Post um, published? Was it the Granny Panties? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so you and your mom, not the same. You're kind of no. on two ends of the spectrum. I like to be covered at all times. Wait, I wrote it down. What did you say? Your husband and kids are stuck so far up your ass that there's no room for anything else, so you don't wear thongs. No, don't. <laughs> understood i'd rather just not wear them all together than wear it um but i Mom like style there to fail feel like a seat belt like i'm buckled into life you know <laughs> for me that's what's important is that i feel grounded you know and that i and my husband just hates it because i have <laughs> a single pair of attractive talking <laughs> a single pair of attractive under i just don't care because here's the other thing too like don't make me get dressed to take it off to have sex with you. I get it. Yep. I nude ugly granny panties off and have sex. <laughs>
right. I don't see the need for it. Like, why do that's I? That's why you do it in the shower. That's why. I take up the granny <laughs> It's all coming together. I, like I said, I enjoy my husband. And I like having sex with him, but I'm not going to. I'm not. I'm not the lingerie type person where it's like, because I'm also the least sexiest person on the planet. I'm awkward and when there are interactions i make noises or say things and he's like could you just not talk <laughs> better you were silent and there were no words you know and then we'll be like kissing and i'll be like Burr, you know and he's like, and i'm like oh <laughs> hey he chose you out of all the women <laughs> he selected you how long have you been together did you 23 we so this year is 17 years married but we've known each other longer than we've not known each other wow mm. so i was 15 when we first started dating wow and then there you know there were plenty of ons and offs in college and this and that and the other thing but we did get then get married like straight out of college do you have any advice for unknown or unnamed people that are have kids now and maybe their marriage is their romance isn't quite where it was because maybe you have a two and a four year old that you're running around like how do you keep your marriage a priority so the so it's tough it really is very hard <laughs> Because parenting, I feel like, is a really hard gig. And then marriage is like, whoa, like really, really fucking hard. Yeah. So, um, especially when your kids are young and you're in the trenches, it can be very difficult to um, find time for, and I don't even want to call it romance, because I don't think romance is the right word. But right, you're great. great. <laughs> like with the person. Yes, connection. Um, even wanting to be touched by somebody because you have kids on you at all times and like things to do. So I think you kind of have to forcefully make time for each other during those periods of your marriage, uh, where as my husband would so eloquently say, you have to schedule sex. Um, so, he, so I'm not kidding when I would say that we would schedule things. So like he would tell me like before work, he would be like when the kids were very little, he'd be like, we're doing it tonight. Like, it's not a, like, it's a thing. It's mind, right? <laughs> He's so like, so he would basically tell me to get like, so I could mentally prepare, yeah. you know, which That's was interesting. Okay. And, and, and we would do that. We would, I, I also think, and it's very hard to do right now because of circumstances, but we also, um, <laughs> wouldn't have them often, but maybe once a month we did go out either find a babysitter or somebody would watch the kids and we would go out and then try and talk about anything but the kids, which can be hard because your life tends to revolve around that. But you would try to find things to, to talk about that weren't kid related, uh, which is important to do because they're, they're really not the first things that they should, they really shouldn't be the priority. They are, but they really shouldn't be your main focal point. And I know that's the second person that is last week on my live. I had Johnny Damon, the baseball player and his wife, and they are super like every time I've been around them, just they're all about each other. They have six kids 
And I was like, how does this even, and she's like, it's going to sound bad. And a lot of people don't agree, but they're, my kids aren't first. He's first. And he's yeah. like, he's first. She's like, we put each other first and the kids are second and they see a strong base and a strong marriage. And they are so in love and like connected with each other. But she admitted, she's like, my kids are second and my husband is first. And, it, and yeah. I don't think a lot of women, you say it. I mean, I, I went, we went to a marriage, uh, retreat thing, uh, about I don't know, maybe five years into our marriage. Mm -hmm. And once we, when I had my first child, I thought like my, my entire thing shifted to the baby. Same. And then <laughs> I quickly realized as I was pregnant with baby number two, I started getting all talk from this, this, at this marriage retreat about how your children cannot be first, your spouse must be first and then your kids. And I was like, this is bullshit. It's so hard. Yes, you're the mother. Um, first yeah and after child two and then three I quickly realized these kids cannot be first because okay. we were not on the same page and when we were not on the same page nothing was working in our house that so makes sense. it was really difficult but then we had to realize like you know and it took us a long time. Like, this is not something that just happens overnight and people are like, oh, you know, you've just been lucky. And it's like, oh, no, no, no. We had lots of, we had lots of issues and lots of fights and lots of, um, you know, we did therapy at one point. Around the 10-year mark, we had a full, like, explosion of me talking to him about him showing up for our marriage and like being involved in like all of the shit that has to go on with the house. But you brought it up, like you confronted him? Yeah, because he, he, he told me that he didn't think there was anything wrong. It was really, it was really tough because yeah. I felt like it was great because he had a wife who did all of the cooking and cleaning and child rearing and he got to kind of hang out. And I was like, Nobody's helping me. Do you want to pitch in or do yeah. any? And so it was, it was stressful to say the least, but we sort of, um, after I aired all of these grievances, which were basically on me because I enabled the behavior and I didn't ask him to show up. Yeah. And so I had to own that and say, you know, things can't go like this. And that was around the 10 year mark for us. Wow. After that, it started to, to shift and change. And then we had, um, you know, the big thing with me and my health scare. And he has just become a complete and utter partner in the entire thing, whether it's business or life or whatever. But as the kids get a little bit bigger and when your youngest is probably, and I don't know if you're done having kids or whatever, but... Yep. When youngest, I noticed a shift when our youngest was around five. Okay. Where it was kind of like we were we were making dates to like meet each other again in the room and be like, you want to do okay. it? You want to sneak away for ten minutes and do okay. it or whatever? And it became more of us connecting because we had the ability to do so because you could be like, hey, kid. Yeah. Watch iPad for 30 minutes. Let's be honest, we only need seven. Um, <laughs> right. 
And then you can go. And they're not a danger to themselves at that point, like my son is right now. But there's a big thing where you, when you have a two-year-old, you can't, unless everybody is literally asleep, you cannot steal those moments. But as you get bigger, you have more of an ability to steal those moments and do those types of things together. Okay. You know, and like I said, you know, I was like, when we moved here, I was like, I'm getting a shower seat because there's a lot. <laughs> end of the night where I'm just like everybody's tired but it's like I still want to do it but I also <laughs> and I gotta wash my hair so yeah shower seat man like <laughs> you know don't mind me just conditioning <laughs> yeah I mean, it's cool I'm brushing my teeth and washing my <laughs> but they're happy he's satisfied everybody's winning well and that's the thing is you have to find a way to really make the compromise work because it's not like we don't fight we we fight plenty we bicker yeah. Stuff. We have our back and forth. Um, he ha he calls me on the stuff that I do. I call him on the stuff that he does. And, you know, we've just made it important that we get up each day and we are there for each other. Um, yeah. Not It's never easy. Uh, and I talk about that in the book. I have an entire chapter on marriage. I think it's called My Husband's Love Language is Sex. <laughs> And, and uh, I'll take household chores for 800, Alex. <laughs> so I talk about all of these things and I talk about them very, very openly because I think that a lot of marriages suffer because people don't know what to expect and they expect easy and they expect romance and they expect Hollywood rom-coms and that doesn't exist, you know. I mean, my husband, and I, my husband is a much better gift giver than I am. Like, he is fantastic at, like, giving gifts and knowing the things that are going to make me happy. Like thoughtfulness. And Thoughtful things. stuff. Yeah. And, and so it's not like he does it all the time, but when he does it, he gives 100% to that. And he also knows that for me, I, I thrive on taking care of everybody and making sure that everybody's needs are met. And like, you know, I talk about laundry all the fucking time, but like yeah. I make sure everybody always has clean underpants and things to wear and that things are, you know, like cleaned up and like everybody's taken care of and knows that my vein is like giving back in that respect. And I'm a terrible gift giver, but he knows that, like, I'm always there every second to be like, I'll support, let me put your balls right here. I've got them <laughs> for you. I've got your balls. They're here. They're in my hand, you know. They're safe with me. I will be there for you, you know. And so we give <laughs> away. But I think it's important that married couples do that for each other because there are a lot of really rough times where you will look at that other person and be like, I really need to remember right now why I, I'm doing this with you because this is really hard and that's okay. Yeah. Like, normal to have those thoughts. Like I remember the first time I had that thought after having my first child and, and being so in love with him. And then 30 seconds later looking at him and being like, what have I done? I've made <laughs> a baby with him and I want to harm him all in the same moment. Yeah. That's so true. And people don't want to talk about that because no, the love and the beautiful this and that. And it's like, no, no, I wanted to hit him with a two by four because he just no. said something really stupid. Or he's not helping. My thing is, I'm like, do you see him? 
Like he, mom, mom, or he'll be like, I want to get down. And I'm like, you're closer. Like, do you not hear when there's not, when they're not like help, mine is helping, just get, help me. Like, and I don't know if men just don't see messes or they don't hear kids. Like it's, I, yeah. So the problem that we have a lot of times in our marriages is that, um, I will prioritize something, he will prioritize it, and it will be a completely different number on the list. But my vantage point is, why are you not seeing this as number one right this minute? Okay. And he's like, it's more like number nine or 10. And because that discrepancy causes friction, we don't understand like the fact that we're still playing the same game, right? So like, okay. I'm seeing this as priority one, he's seeing it priority 10. So no, there's, there's a reason why he's not acknowledging it. It's not on his radar, but I see yeah. number one. He almost can't blame him. He's not being a dick. He like, he doesn't know. He doesn't it's just it. not a priority. And so okay. perspective shift yeah. and ability to come together and say, okay, this is how I feel about this. I need you to understand my feeling on this. And I need you to know that this is priority number two for me. And if everything else is on fire, I need you to know that I, at some point, I, I'm gonna need you to come over here and take care of priority two for me if I'm still working on priority one, because this has to happen and everything else is set ablaze and I need your ass over here. But unless I tell them that, there's no way for them to know because a lot of times couples are not going to share priorities because we're wired differently. Right. We so don't, like, I don't say it. I'm just like, why is he not doing it? I never say it. Right. But if, okay. if you say it and you don't let them know that it's a priority for you and it's the way you're feeling, they can't read your mind. He has right. yes, aim love. We assume they know what we want and what we see. <laughs> But it's, but it's, it's hard because they don't, it's the same with me though. You know, like if you think about it, there are times, um, when we just don't want to see something because we don't want to be bothered by it or understand it, or we're not going to take the time, but they're trying to tell us things too. And we gloss over it and we just, ah, whatever. We'll, you yeah, know. True. So it's, it's all about priorities and it's all about perspective and the way we see things and how we communicate them. And that doesn't make me an expert on it by any stretch. I just have been able to eventually, after being married for a certain amount of time, see it and realize that it's something that I have to be more mindful of. Okay. But I'm not an expert at it. I just know that it's something that's important in keeping the marriage. Because I told him the other day, we were in the middle of this big fight. And I said, no matter what, I want to play on your team. I always want to be on your team. So even though you think that I'm being difficult right now with this, my priority is to be on your team. And I, I don't want to keep score with you. Because in the beginning of our marriage, I, I was all about keeping score. <laughs> I don't want to keep score anymore. I just want to play on your team. And I want you to know that I'm your teammate. Because at the end of the day, the only thing that I care about is that you're happy and that these other three people in my house are happy. Yeah. If I've been, if I've done that, then it's a really, really good day. And I don't know. It was so funny because after I said all of these things, I looked at him and I'm like, did you hear me? And he's like, did you say you don't want to play on my team? And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> I literally just said, I'm here to be on your, your teammate. <laughs> Listen to me. And so it takes 
a lot of time and, and a lot reinforcement, of reinforcement it seems reinforcement oh someone said that they got a divorce for this and did they make the right decision for but what they got i divorced my ex too soon because of this did i make the right decision well i mean you make whatever decision is right for you but i feel like these strategies i'm gonna put in place it, it's making me realize i just assume he hears them and he knows that i want him to do these things i don't say it i just keep it inside and then at some point it's going to come out and then it's a massive two-day blowout. It will always come out and will always be an issue. So what we've agreed to do is when something comes up, we talk about it at that moment. Okay. I like because that. What we found is I would keep like detailed notes <laughs> up here and be like, oh, oh, you said that, did you? <laughs> yeah, right. I relate to that a lot. <laughs> Had, and I was like, August 2nd, mm -hmm. dick. And yep. this, <laughs> this is why. <laughs> how unhelpful that was to the situation. Okay. Because yeah. not only was he not understanding what he did, but I never said to him, this is why this was upsetting to me, or this is what you did and I felt wronged by it, or this is how I felt invisible. Because a lot of times I think we get upset because we feel invisible in a situation. Like you don't see me, you don't hear me. Right. So if we take the time to, to really hash that out, it's, it's good for us because we can learn from that. Because there are plenty of times where he feels disrespected and unheard when I, okay, fine, whatever. Yeah, 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 okay, okay. Or you're dealing with the kids, like you just go on to the next thing with the kid. Right. You feel kind of like, not priority or my phone he gets on me about my phone because yeah, that's your business i do run a business that's yeah. on device and i tell him while i'm working and he's it's always work it's always work and you should you know and it's like okay, yeah. okay let me put this down let me what right. do you and so i'll always put the phone down or stop what i'm doing and say i'm here i'm listening tell me what you need and when okay. finally by the third time when i say that he knows i'm fully engaged yeah. and conversation but it's 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 a lot of work like nothing about marriage is easy nothing yes, about it helps just to hear you say that like and to the stories that you're telling and I can yes like that's what I'm in right now and I assume somebody that's been married for that long doesn't deal with those things um but the strategies that you're saying I don't do any of those things so maybe I can oh, fix it that's because a lot of times people don't want to talk about that because they want you to think that their marriage is perfect and it's bulletproof. Nothing is bulletproof. Everybody has had a thought. I can guarantee you that my husband at some point during our marriage has thought, if this doesn't work out, what am, what am I going to do? We, every person is a human being and has had that thought. Yeah. And what would my world be like? I don't want to picture my world without him because I feel like he, he is my entire world and these kids are my entire world. But I think we, you go through things in your marriage, like, you know, our youngest is, is on the spectrum. He's special needs. He takes a lot of energy and effort. And there are days where I'm so bone tired from yes. with him and from my, and when my husband and, and, and one of the hardest things on our marriage has been raising a special needs child. Yeah, I'm sure. For us. And it's really difficult because special needs couples are at a 50% increased rate of getting divorced than a, than a couple who doesn't have a child with special needs. Wow. Already. The odds are against 50, you. 50. Now, my 50-50, 
is 50%. What, what is that? Right. Like, I don't even know statistically what that means, but yeah. it's not good. Yeah, it's not it's good. Hard. All of it is hard. And so I think you just have to make, like, think back to the reason you married this person. Why did you make this choice? What do you really want to do? And you have to make that decision each day. You're right. And it seems like when you said at five, it makes it a little easier. Like right now, it, when I go to bed with him, I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, I don't have a moment. Like, I just want to sleep. Like sleep trumps everything in my life right now. And like you said, my son, there, someone's touching me and all around me all the time. Like, I just want to sleep. And that's not fair to him. But I don't have anything left. I'm a four-year-old and a two-year-old. at you. And he's saying, the one way that I know that I can connect with you yeah. is by slipping my penis in. Yeah, right. He's a man. And, right? that, and it's right. I do feel more connected to him. Like, the next day I feel more connected to him. But right. I don't have it. Like, I... I don't, and especially during that, where they're home, there's no, we can't take them to a park or a playground to like let them run because you can't touch anything. So where they're here with me. <laughs> so I'm just like, I'm never up this late. Like, <laughs> but that's I'm tired. When, <laughs> it's a lot. When I finally realized that he was telling me when we connect, when we have sex and we connect, yeah, physically connect, physically connect, I feel close to you and that makes me happy. Yeah. That's really understood okay, now I know why he needs this like three times a week. Like he needs, he physically needs to have this. It's not just rid some ridiculous thing. And when I realized that and really understood it, it's it a lot easier for me to be available to him because I knew even if it wasn't what I wanted to do in that moment, it was what needed to be done to feel like we were connected. And it was... It was, and, and I kind of feel like it's okay that it was just for him. I was doing I that, that too, right? Act that I did for him. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's important, and I'm not saying that you should have sex with your husband when you don't want to. What I'm saying, right. Right. understand that it is something that is for that they truly are are in need to feel that they are connected with you. That. My husband, I'm go I'm going to try to be available for that. But believe me, I remember what how tired it was to have toddlers. Yeah, I totally understand those feelings and being pawed on and feeling like you're wearing another person like a coat. I get <laughs> and I'm only understanding this now post toddlers and because my youngest is nine, going to be ten. I I can understand it because it's easier to see it when you're out of it. So I that. that that gives me hope. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate all this time. You're the sweetest. You have so much on your plate, and I also think that you should add marriage counselor to that because you are phenomenal. And I, I just all the people that are saying like you're helping so many people right now. Add it to the list. No, I just think that I just think that if somebody is doing something. Because I've listened to people, you know, talk about their marriages and, and I've pulled things from, from reading different things and, and places and conferences that I've gone to. And I just think it's important because I remember when I started out, I reached out to so many people and asked for help and advice and everybody guarded everything like they had the secret sauce, like the McDonald's secret sauce. And they didn't want to talk or share because they were like, oh, 
you know, everybody's got to kind of just muddle through and this is how it works. And there's, you know, like, I can't help you. And I think that that's just the worst attitude to have because there is no secret sauce. Um, the internet is a really weird space. Uh, marriage is hard. Parenting is hard. Figuring out who you are at the age of 35 and understanding that you have to reclaim who you are as a person is hard. So why would I not share and talk about all of these things? Because if it can help somebody and make their journey a little bit easier or give them some, some direction, why should I not, why would I not do that for somebody? So feel understood that you feel the same way. Just feel like, yes, like I get it. I, yeah, it just made me so angry when people would be like, Oh, um, yeah, I can't, I'm not going to tell you how I do it, but you know, why not? Why, why would yeah. we not like you have the actual Big Mac sauce recipe <laughs> and we all know what that is anyway. Like, why are you, like, why would you do that? I just never understood that part of it. So for me, it's always been, I don't know, just, I just, I just like, to offer up any piece of advice that worked for me. Yeah. And but I want to take credit for it because it's not like I figured out marriage. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know where I'll be in five years or 10 years. I surely hope it's next to my husband, but I don't, I'm not a fortune teller. I just know that each day I wake up and we make a conscious choice to do it again. So That's it's good. my show up. It's his job yeah. to show that's a great tip. Like, I don't think about it on a daily basis like that. I just, I think that if we think about it that way, um, it's more palatable. Yeah. Uh, especially, during <laughs> especially during the pandemic, because things have been very um, hard to digest. So, yeah. You're the best. God, thank you <laughs> so much for all of your time. I want to like promote everything. Take it or leave it podcast. Where can they get it? Oh, take it or uh, podcast, take it or leave it.com. Take it or leave it.com. And then, and then they'll just send it to you when it comes out. So you just click and add to cart and then it gets there. It's the size of my head. If that makes you more inclined to purchase. <laughs> I'm going to just swipe up uh, link to it so that people can just swipe up, order it, order it. You were phenomenal. I, so I saw something that you said about Dak Shepard when you like met him and you were like, want to do our podcast? And Tiffany was like, what? You're like, yeah, sometimes you just got to ask. Like, that's how I feel about you. Like, the fact that you did mine. Like, I was like, I'm just going to ask her. And you were like, well, yeah. Well, like, you, you need to do this. Thing if you don't ask for it. And yeah. uh, Shepard never called me. So you <laughs> know what'll happen in the future. Like, you never know unless you ask. Yeah, anyone watching this, I have Meredith, that's inappropriate, on my live because I asked her. So you never know. You are yeah. fantastic. Thank you so, so, so much. I had a great time chatting. Thank um, you. Hit me up again. We have to make sure that we exchange emails as well. Yeah. Because I want to address because I'm going to send you my books. I'm going to and... send you my book too in case you want it. <laughs> yeah. And I have to some margaritas tank top if you want that. I'll take anything you got. <laughs> you have earned both of them and more. Well, Thank we'll you so swap. Much. 
We'll swap books. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Good night. Thank you so much. Meredith Masony with the best marriage advice. I'm going to go try it out right now. Um, if you're not following her on Instagram, it's That's Inappropriate. And you can get her new book, Ask Me What's For Dinner One More Time, on Amazon. Meredith, thank you so much for being my guest. And thank you for listening. Please, please subscribe wherever you get podcasts. We're on Podcast One, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. And I will see you next week for a brand new episode of Squats and Margaritas. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the Sleep Number Bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my Sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details.